Here we are, locked on NFL alongside the scout, Matt Williamson. I am Brian Peacock. We take you around the league daily here on the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network. Let's get into this one. We've got a great guest, Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints, talking about New Orleans, how they look going into the playoffs, the only team in the NFC who has clinched so far. And we will preview Thursday night football. How is a banged up Lamar Jackson doing this week, and could he possibly sit on a short week Thursday night? Joining us now is Ross Jackson. He is the host of Locked on Saints. You can find him on Twitter at Ross Jackson ASC, and of course, you can find his podcast Locked on Saints on all of your favorite podcast apps, just like this one. Ross, how are you? Thank you for joining the show today. Talk about the uh, the 10 and 3 Saints who are already... They're already in with the NFC South. That has been wrapped up, but there is a lot of seeding to go with tiebreakers and coming off a really big one with the 49ers last week that might be a preview of things to come in the NFC. Oh, yeah, man. Hey, absolutely. First of all, thank you all very much for taking the time to have me on. Uh, Very excited to talk about this team. And of course, very excited to be back here with you. We just did our Locked On crossover episode for the Saints and 49ers. And uh, boy, that game was a ton of fun. And it was costly. Ended up being costly for both teams in terms of health. But it was costly for the Saints who now look at a place where they have to win out for the rest of the season, but are also going to need some help in order to just move up to the number two seed, even if they want to be in better uh, seeding position for the playoffs this year. Yeah, fantastic game uh, Sunday. It was it was amazing. It was uh, probably game of the year. It had to be. Yeah, and you mentioned mm-hmm. both teams coming out of it uh, not completely unscathed. And I think the big one was Marcus Davenport for the Saints. I saw it as a significant foot injury and out for the season. Does that mean out for the regular season, or are we talking playoffs too for Marcus Davenport? Oh, yeah. No, for Marcus Davenport, he's going to be shut down for the rest of the season as well as the playoffs. Uh, Ian Rappaport confirmed this morning that it was, as many of us suspected, a Liz Frank injury. And so that's going to require some surgery. That's usually a five to six month return timetable for, uh, you know, for any any guy with that. But especially for a 6'6", 270 pound guy uh, who ha- who's dealing with a midfoot injury like that, that's pretty big. Uh, and so it's it's kind of tough. I mean, Look, the Saints have shown already that they have uh, good depth on the defensive line, but to replace one of your starters, uh, Marcus Davenport becomes the seventh starter for the Saints offense, or for the Saints team, rather, that misses multiple games this season. So, you know, health has definitely been an issue. They haven't seen a ton of injuries, but they've seen a ton of injuries at uh, very very important places on their team, uh, which is a different type of designation. And of course, you can also add on for the Saints that it also looks that they might lose Sheldon Rankins for the rest of the season as well with an ankle injury of his own that's going to require surgery. And so those are two big, big, big blows for the Saints defense. Ross, let's stick with that that area of the defense. So it's mm-hmm. been a very good defense. Um, the linebacker has been a little banged up as well. But Cam Jordan, do you think he's firmly in the defensive MVP conversation? I think that he hurt his case a little bit in that 49ers game, being that he wasn't uber productive. He did get a couple of pressures, but he wasn't super present. He also lost a little bit of a, a, a he kind of lost a step in the run game during that game as well, because the 49ers did a really good job with their outside runs, getting outside of those corners where the Saints did not have any ability of containing 
against the run there. I think it was over half of the 49ers, 162 rushing yards came to the outside, whether it be at the tackle or around the ends. And so that's a rough day for Cam Jordan. He also didn't get any sacks in the game, which are the it's the kind of the big number that everyone's looking for. So there's a little bit more distance between him and Shaquille Barrett now when it comes to the sack number. But I do think that Cam Jordan, if he has a strong performance over these next three games, which I suspect he will because he's a guy that tends to play mad when he gets mad, um, I think that that does open the door for him in that conversation. But he's going to have to prove a little bit more than uh, he would have had he had a better game against San Francisco. I want to talk about the other side of the ball and... Uh, Alvin Kamara is in that game was just unbelievable with the play of the quarterbacks last Sunday with Jimmy Garoppolo and Drew Brees going off and Drew Brees putting up five touchdown passes, taking one over the top as well on the ground for his sixth touchdown of the game. But Alvin mm-hmm. Kamara is really struggling right now. I mean, I wouldn't say he's struggling because he's still a really good football player. And I think from a fantasy football perspective, teams that drafted him, you know, number one overall in their fantasy football leagues are like, hey, man, Alvin Kamara, where's your 25 points <laughs> per game? And he's still a really good player, but he's not at the level he was. Is he? Is some injury still lingering there? Uh, is it the offense? Is it just that they want to use a two-headed monster at running back to keep him fresh? What's going on there on the offensive side of the ball? Any worries about Alvin Kamara? Um, I would let me start off by addressing the injury situation because I think that that is probably the most prominent is that he's simply just you can tell by the way that he's playing that he's not 100% yet and he could be 80% he could be 90% but even mentally coming back from injury and this was sort of his first sustained injury in the NFL earlier this season where he missed a pair of games and so even just mentally recovering from an injury takes some time especially your first substantial one and so I, I do think that Alvin Kamara is lacking a little bit in his game right now because of injury concerns. But at the same time, I also will acknowledge offensive play calling and the way that the offense has operated so far this season without Alvin Kamara as a big, I don't want to say without him as a big emphasis, but when you look at the amount of touches that he had in the red zone, going into the game against San Francisco, uh, you know, through the first, I think it was 13 or 12 games of last season, he had 30 touches and five touchdowns in the red zone. Whereas at this point in the season, he had five going into five touches total with no touchdowns going into the game against San Francisco. And so just his usage in scoring position is very different. His usage as a receiver so far has been very different. They usually like to line him up out wide and send him out deep and get a couple of routes for him. You can think back to the fourth and seven play against the Philadelphia Eagles last Last week, I'm sorry, last year, uh, and also just his usage in the slot. It's just been a little different in terms of the way that the, the Saints have been utilizing Alvin Kamara, and maybe that's because of their knowledge with his injury. That could be the case. And also just open space has been tougher for him. Defenses are closing in. Not a lot of one-on-one situations he's ending up in uh, this season, as we've seen in the previous two years of his career. And so I think all of that sort of compounds to the numbers that you're seeing. Yardage-wise, on both receiving and rushing, he's – performing well uh, in terms of touches. He's right on par with where he's been so far throughout his career. It's just really been that touchdown number and then just the lack of sort of big splash plays that we haven't really seen from him. But otherwise, he's really kind of in tune. It's just you're not seeing the big plays and the sort of highlights from him like you saw him, you know, hurtling uh, uh, Darius Slay a few years ago and things like that. Although he did try to get back on his hurdle game against the 49ers this (laughs) past week. Uh, So, you know, maybe he's feeling a little bit more confident. But you see a little bit more confidence from him in each game. And I think that that's the big thing. You can think back to the Tampa Bay game when he took a hit as a punt returner. And then after that, the rest of his game sort of turned on at that point because he knew he could take a hit 
So I'll be interested to see, especially over these next three games, which are very important for the Saints to win out here in order to maximize their opportunity in the playoffs, uh, how he adjusts coming into it. I don't think, though, that Latavius Murray is cutting too much into his share. Ross has really well said, and by no means I think anyone should think, boy, Kamara's best days are behind him or oh, no. he ain't what he used to be or anything like that. Um, I think another aspect and another impressive injured skill position guy is Jared Cook. I mean, he was tearing it up against the Niners, and then he goes out of that game. And I think his presence has probably hurt Kamara's usage and numbers a little bit. But what has he meant to the offense? Quite, quite the addition. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned him. I mean, first of all, Jared Cook is somebody that a lot of Saints fans are actually down on earlier in the year. And I kept telling everybody, just wait. Just give it a moment. Give it a second because you have a guy like Jared Cook that spent his entire offseason getting in rhythm with Drew Brees. Drew Brees, the second game of the of the year. Not even the second. I mean, it was in the second game, but it was, you know, he played a game in two series, basically, before his UCL injury. And then he was out and then uh, Jared Cook sort of had to learn how to operate with Teddy Bridgewater. And then he had his injury. Jared Cook did. He missed the game a couple of games. And then he had to get back into rhythm with Drew Brees. And since he's been able to do that, he's looked outstanding. Four touchdowns in the last four games. If you go back to uh, week five against the, uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he scored a touchdown in every game aside from two games in, in that stretch. So he's been outstanding for New Orleans. And he's been that guy that a lot of people were sort of hoping that, uh, let's look back to maybe Colby Fleener. Uh, when the Saints paid big money to bring him in from Indianapolis, uh, he was uh, somebody that they were very excited about, and that he was, you know, one of those players that they believe could be the next Jimmy Graham. Right? That's always been the uh, the the since 2011. That's been the goal. How do you replace the the Jimmy Graham role in the Saints offense? And Jared Cook has done a really good job of doing that. He's in concussion protocol right now after the big hit that he took on a fantastic second touchdown catch, his second catch of the game. He was 100% for catches and touchdowns uh, during the uh, during the. 49ers game and so he's got the extra day to potentially clear himself from concussion protocol with the Saints not playing until Monday night but even if the Saints you know end up not having him for Monday it'll be good to see him back toward the end of the season because he's been a big part of balancing that passing attack um, finding somebody opposite Michael Thomas to affect the passing game and Jerry Cook's absolutely been that person We've got more with Ross Jackson of Locked On Saints coming up we've also got a preview Thursday night football Jets at Baltimore Ravens All right, this is a good time to tell the fellas out there about Blue Chew. Guys, do you remember when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up, bluechew.com. That's blue, like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit. No waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. And they're made right in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, BlueChew.com, promo code Locked on to try it free, Blue Chew is the cheaper, better, faster choice 
We thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Okay, Ross, I want to stick with the offensive side of the ball, and uh, I do want to talk about Drew Brees actually in a little bit, but first we have to talk about Michael Thomas, and it's crazy because I didn't feel like he was impacting the game at a really high level early against the 49ers, and then at the end of the game, started making some big catches and big plays. And then you look at the stat line at the end of the game, is 13 catches, over 100 yards, getting his again. He's up to 121 receptions on the year. That record number is in reach for Michael Thomas. It's just like, even though, even if you think you are playing him well, he's going to get his. What makes him so great? Because he's just always impactful and he always finds a way to come down with the football and make plays for the Saints. Yeah, I had the same reaction to Michael Thomas during the 49ers game. I was like, wow, the 49ers did a really good job kind of limiting him. Like, thank goodness that the Saints have found ways to get the ball to other receivers. And then all of a sudden, he ends the game with 134 yards and a yeah. touchdown. I was right. like, man, all right. He just came, kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, but I think that some of the stuff that makes him uh, so uh, so talented and so incredible out on that field are, uh, you know, you and I have talked about it before. You can line him up anywhere. He can line up at X. He can line up at Z. You can put him over in the in the slot as well. So you can operate him there. You can operate him sort of as a uh, in, in bunch formations. He operates really well out of bunch formations too. And just his ability uh, in terms of catching the ball uh, in traffic has been in, insane so far this season. I think it was before the 49ers game. It was like 85% of his contested catches he came down with. And that's just incredible talent. I know he credits it to hand yoga, but he's got to be he's got to be drinking something else because <laughs> it's been insane uh, the way that he's been able to, to operate the way that he has. And now, look, he he struggled at the end of last season in the week 17 game to catch one more pass to get him past Joe Horn's franchise record of 1,090, 1,399 receiving yards. And so he struggled at the end of the season to get that with Teddy Bridgewater week 17 against the, uh, the Carolina Panthers. He's already surpassed that mark as well as his franchise receiving yardage mark that he set last year through 13 games this year. He's now sitting at 1424 on the season. So he's been absolutely incredible. And I think that those are a couple of the things that make him so unique and also you got to talk about his route running too. He is an incredibly precise route runner. It is a big part of his game. Uh, I don't know if it was the the uh, evaluations of him coming out of Ohio State when he was coming out of college that said, you know, he needs to really he'll he, maybe he'll figure out this whole route running thing was one of the evaluations that he had. Uh, either he took it to heart or it was just absolutely flat out <laughs> uh, an incorrect evaluation because he's become an outstanding route runner at the next level here and is definitely one of those players that we talk about a lot being a guy that. Plays pretty well in college, but is a better player in the pros, and Michael Thomas has absolutely been that. Yeah, he's phenomenal. And we are planning on talking coaches on the hot seat, coach of the year candidates, and there's quite a few of them, but i got to think Sean Payton's very much in that conversation. Yeah, I'm going to hope that Sean Payton's more in the uh, the coach of the year candidate than right, the hot right, seat right, yeah. <laughs> for okay. certain, uh, but absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but absolutely, yes. I mean, you look what he did over five games without Drew Brees uh, winning, you know, going 5-0 and under Teddy Bridgewater. And so, and that's not to say Teddy Bridgewater is a slouch, but, you know, that's tough. It's tough to replace your Hall of Fame quarterback at any point in your season, regardless of who your backup is. And the fact that he was able to do that and the fact that he's led this team now to their third straight NFC South title, I know you're not supposed to look back to the years before and everything, but just how tough the NFC division can be, certainly not this year, but how tough this NFC South division can be from time to time. Um, the the his leadership, the way that he's rolled. And again, I mentioned that he's had 
now seven starters out, seven of 22 starters missing multiple games throughout the season, and he's still coaching a playoff team here. A lot of teams that could cause a buckle, especially with an injury to their starting quarterback being one of those major injuries. I think you have to consider Sean Payton in that group of coach of the year candidates at the top or very near the top. And maybe that was uh, the thing that would decide it between he and Kyle Shanahan last week that Kyle Mm -hmm. Shanahan picked up that W because I think he's in consideration as well. Um, Looking ahead to the rest of the season here, the Saints have already clinched. They're the only team in the NFC that's clinched, even though they're currently the three seed in the playoffs, the Packers and 49ers in front of them. Uh, right now, the Packers do have the tiebreaker, even though both teams are 10-3 and three because the Packers have a better win percentage against conference opponents by one game, and the Packers do play all divisional and conference opponents in the NFC North the rest of the way. I think the Saints only have one more, so maybe that could still flip, and even if they have the same records, maybe the Saints could... Um, could overtake the Packers for that two seed. But but looking ahead for the Saints, and it's been noted that maybe Drew Brees falls off at the end of seasons, just the physicality of being an older player in the NFL takes its toll over the course of a season. He doesn't quite sling it like he used to, although you wouldn't know it by the 46 points that the Saints offense put up <laughs> last week. Is there any worry about the longevity of, Drew Brees wearing down. Uh, what's the outlook on him going forward? Is he the, is he going to do the Brady thing and try to play till he's 50? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what, man. Uh, I, I'll take a five-touchdown fall-off at any point uh, in Drew <laughs> yeah. Brees' career, that's for certain. Uh, but absolutely, I mean, you've seen it. You've seen it over time. Arm strength starts to dwindle, things like that. People get tired throughout the season, and Drew Brees is no exception to that. And we've seen him have a little bit of a, a recession uh, at some point within the or, – or receding a little bit at some point during the season. But I don't think you're – I'm looking to see that this season. And a big part of that is that he missed five games of the year. So he's got, he's, he's got an arm that's five games fresher than it usually is. And that's kind of just in time if they're able to get a first round buy here. Uh, and so that to me is a big indicator for my lack of concern for Drew Brees and his arm shape. But I do think that this is a guy that's going to try to be out on the field until he's 50. Uh, you know, we were joking around when that big, um, when that big uh, trend hit Twitter where everybody was aging themselves and posting photos. Uh, you know, the big <laughs> thing around that was Drew Brees aging Drew Brees. And yeah, he's okay. Starting quarterback in 2026. Cause he's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. Um, he's he's been outstanding. He's an incredible player, um, and we've seen it time and time again. I'm not too concerned with him having a drop off this year. And again, that that really comes down to the fact that he actually is five games fresher than he usually is. And you know, I think he, I, and anybody within the Houdet Nation or within Saints Media or the Saints organization would be happy to have him around for as long as he's willing to be around. <laughs> That's a great point about him playing fewer games because last year. I thought Rivers, Brady, Breeze, that this time of year is when they started to show their age. You know, just the wear and tear of the Mm -hmm. game. Uh, That's a great point by you. And that might be the difference, you know, come a month from now of where if if the Saints can, you know, get to their final goal or not. Um, The last thing I have for you, though, is I cheat with special teams. I just go to football outsiders. I look at their DVOA and I say, okay, this team's good on special teams. This team isn't. The Saints are third in special teams DVOA, and I think that's another feather in Peyton's cap and kind of an underreported story of how well they're doing in that phase. 
Uh, let me tell you how much I, well, I, let me say it this way. I can't tell you how much I love the Saints special teams play. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me say it that way. No, I, I, that's the thing. Um, and I'm so glad that you bring that up because it really is that third element of the game. That's so important. Now, let me call out the one thing that the Saints special teams has been horrible at so far this season. And it's recovering onside kicks. We've essentially seen them go. Oh, and six for that. Not, not literally, but that's essentially been what's happening with penalties and re-kicks and things like that. They've yet to actually recover an onside kick. It's either been kicked out of bounds or it's been recovered by the other team, and one time it was recovered by the other team out of bounds. So all the same, really. Uh, but I think it's harder than ever to reti- recover it, an onside kick, though. I think you're absolutely right, but I do think that to their their method is probably going to change after that that Falcons game because they were using sort of that older uh, onside kick method to where you only have one person that's focused on recovering the ball, then every Everybody just focus. Everybody else just focuses on blocking, and then okay. you saw other players start to react to the ball, and then they miss a blocking assignment, and that's how some of these linebackers and these other guys on the opposite special teams unit end up getting in and affecting Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara as they try to recover uh, recover that onside kick. And so I think that they're going to shift it around. But you're right; it's so it's much harder now than it's ever been before. But I think that the method that they've been using kind of shot them in the foot there. But outside of that, their special teams unit has been incredible. You look at guys like Justin Hardy and JT Gray who have been outstanding as gunners and, uh, and and defending punt returns. You also look at JT Gray, who's got a blocked punt earlier in the season. You look at the return game, which is the best it's been in New Orleans, probably since Darren Sproles with uh, our new the, the new number 11 there out of Assumption College, the undrafted free agent, uh, Deontay Harris, who's been outstanding. He's one of PFF's high, highest graded uh, returners, and he also sits atop the league right now in punt return yardage. He's also got a punt return touchdown, should have two, uh, but you know, penalties and things like that. But really just the way that the Saints have been able to play and sort of take advantage of that hidden yardage portion of the game right, has been outstanding. And Deontay Harris is a big part of that as well as the way that they cover uh, returns. And Deontay Harris is electric. Uh, I was blown oh, away man. watching him last weekend. One quick note here on the offensive line and as it relates to that Drew Brees conversation we had, I know the Saints offensive line has been banged up quite a bit. Uh, one of the other reasons I love the game plan that Sean Payton has put together once especially when uh, Teron Armstead was out, is that the ball was coming out quick. And Drew Brees among uh, the quickest to get rid of the football the last few weeks, and that was the game plan against the 49ers, a lot of targets to running backs and tight ends early in that game. Is there a worry about the banged-up offensive line? Teron Armstead, can they get him 100% before the playoffs? I'll tell you what, I mean, Teron Armstead is just absolutely incredible. Uh, and, and, and I say that not about his play on the field, but after the game, he was completely iced up. He was in a boot. He was swollen and he was just smiling and positive about the way that they handled themselves over on the offensive side and had everything just to be happy about. And he's standing on maybe like half a foot. At this, or really, I guess it was two feet on one side at that point. His foot was so swollen. Uh, so he's been absolutely outstanding. But he's a huge part of what the Saints are able to do on that offensive line. And they put together a very, very talented front five there, especially with the rookie Eric McCoy coming in and taking over for a guy like Max Unger, who's, you know, those are big shoes to fill, and they've done a really good job with that. But I do think that the Saints, even if even if Teron Armstead continues to play and is able to continue to play through, I think they've found something very effective in this quick passing game for Drew Brees and the way that they played. So I think that they'll stick with it. And especially when you have guys like uh, ideally Jared Cook is able to return soon and healthy uh, with that concussion. But then you've also got guys like Michael Thomas who thrive on those quick slant routes and those shorter routes, those drag routes, stuff over the middle that you can get out quickly. Uh, They thrive with that already. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see them even continue to put that emphasis on the quick passes that we already know that they like, but to see them put an emphasis on it throughout the rest of the season, because game plan wise, it also just seems to work with their tempo. 
That is Ross Jackson doing great work over there at Locked on Saints. You can find him on Twitter at Ross Jackson, A-S-C. Ross, thank you so much for joining the show today. Absolutely, y'all. Thank you very much, both you and Matt. I appreciate having y'all. Thank you so much for all your work as well. Love listening to y'all every day here on the Lockdown Network. Good stuff. Thanks yeah. for joining us. Beautiful. Thanks Always. again. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. Listening on the go, if you can't download DoorDash, Right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. All right, it's time to turn the page, Matt. We've got Thursday night football coming up tomorrow. Man, it comes so quick on that Thursday night game. And uh, getting ready for a new week, week 15 in the NFL. We've got the New York Jets are on the road traveling to the Baltimore Ravens. The big story here before we even get going is Lamar Jackson. He came up with a quad injury. He's been limited this week at practice, but here's the man himself when asked if he's ready to go and will play Thursday. I feel great. I feel good. I'm 100. I'm going to be out there Thursday night. Well, he's going to be out there. If you listen to him, I don't know if uh, the Baltimore coaching staff might think, well, you know what, let's make sure he doesn't re-aggravate and really screw this thing up going into the playoffs. Maybe resting him on a short week Thursday night would be the smarter move. I don't know. It's an interesting conundrum there for the Ravens. It is because you still need to keep winning. You control your fate, and you know people are chasing you for that one seed. But if he does re-aggravate something, he gets a nice long week to rest it, and maybe you could even rest him in week 17 regardless, and you're probably going to get a bye. Mm, So I think you just put him out there and take care of business now unless he's looking hobbled or if you get up heavy on the scoreboard. So I think that's the right move, considering, especially since you're at home. Um, But do you see this game being competitive if he plays and is at least – you know, what are you close to what he usually is? Right. So maybe you start him, you get a lead, then you pull him or something like that. But that's a good point about there's plenty of time still to rest him. If it's not something that they're overly worried about him re-aggravating, then maybe you don't worry about it and you let him play. But he's so important to that Ravens team right now. Uh, a Jets team, can you win it with RG3? I just it's almost not even worth putting him out there. Does it really even jeopardize if you did lose this week? Does it jeopardize your seeding in the AFC that much? It's almost not worth it on any level to me. But I understand you've you've got a person here that wants to play. It's got to be hard to talk him out of the lineup, I'm sure. I'm sure. And I doubt this is a factor and it shouldn't be, but I'm sure the young man wants to win the MVP. And if you start missing games, that hurts your cause a Mm -hmm. great deal, too. That shouldn't factor it in, but it's also a team morale thing and a, kind of a, an award for the whole group. I don't know. I would play him out there tentatively with a short leash and see what happens. But you look at the Jets, and their corners are awfully weak. But I, I mentioned I'm a little worried about the, the the Ravens' weaponry. I'm not sure that they can really take advantage of that. Maybe Marquise Brown gets behind them. Um, I also think the Ravens' run defense is one of their Achilles' heels. And are the Jets going to pound them and be able to take advantage of that? I tend to think not. I also think Darnold will be, quote, seeing ghosts, you know, with a lot of different blitz packages, a lot of man coverage. And that's a, that's a tough, tough chore for the Jets, man. 
And Lamar Jackson is only about, what, 323 yards away from 3,000 yards passing. He's already over 1,000 yards rushing this season, and uh, that's a crazy mark to hit 3,000, 1,000 for an NFL quarterback, something that you don't see. And uh, I think that'll be the thing that really secures that MVP for him. He's got plenty of time to do that over the, the next three weeks. One of the matchups that I hope to see here with the game predicted to be a blowout, Vegas has this, looking at the MyBookie line right now, the Ravens are favored at home by 14.5 points. So it's a huge line, not much... Um, going in the Jets' favor as far as predicting this game. But Jamal Adams, who's also questionable, he's been a little bit banged up this week, and I think he's limited, but looks like he will play. Jamal Adams versus Lamar Jackson, I think, is an interesting one because of anybody on that Jets roster, that would be the spy to me if you're going to use somebody. And I love Jamal Adams. Um, That would just be a fun matchup to watch. So I hope you get to see it on a primetime game where there might not be a lot of great matchups. No, you're right. We're kind of straining a little bit to find great matchups in this one, but that is a fun one. Um, also, if you remember, Mark Andrews got hurt early in that uh, Ravens-Bills game. Or, yeah, it was the Bills, right? The Bills yeah, Ravens-Bills game. And Adams would be the obvious guy to deal with Andrews as well. So yes. some of the key components are a little questionable for this one. And that's really what this Ravens offense does is really stresses that second level, the linebackers, the safeties for a team, because you have to respect the run. You have to respect that read option and the zone read. And then when Lamar Jackson gets outside, he can flip it to those tight ends. And it's really difficult and puts those linebackers, especially a strong safety, in a bind. And so um, that's that's such a tough matchup for teams. And don't look now, but Sam Darnold is 5-5 five and five as the starter for the Jets this year. I'm still a Darnold believer. I think there's a little bit of that Jameis in him where the highs are high, the lows are lows. He's an inherent risk taker. But I like his makeup. I like his skill set. He would be pretty high on my list of guys I'd like to build around. You know, not in the top five or anything right now. But if we have this conversation a year from now, he might be. So I think he's a bright future. 14 and a half points. I think we would both pick the Ravens straight up at home. 14 and a half. Do you give that many points? That's a good question. Just because of the Lamar factor. Like if I knew he was 100% and had a great chance to play 60 minutes, I think they win this game by 20, you know, and it's not even close. It's over at halftime. But maybe you get that feeling and then Lamar's sitting on the sideline for the second half and the Jets creep back into it. That little half there is kind of bugging me on that conversation. You know? Yeah, two so, touchdowns plus. Yeah, I think I'll take the points. I mean, Baltimore's the way better team, but I think I'll take the points. Yeah, I feel that way too. And I think Baltimore might be in a zone where if they did get a big lead, they would take the pedal off and maybe sit Jackson anyway, and maybe there just won't be enough total points scored to be that much of a blowout. But um, it could absolutely go that direction too. And nobody's betting on the Jets, which is why that line is so huge. But uh, it should be at least somewhat interesting, and I hope we get to see a lot of Adams versus uh, Adams versus Lamar Jackson because I think that's the, that's what I'm tuning in for Thursday night, and you hope for the the league's hoping for not a complete snoozer there. As am I. It's the only game on Thursday. Come on. Yeah, and I'm also like you mentioned. I really want to watch Darnold in a tough place to play, one of the more difficult defenses to deal with and process from a quarterback standpoint. So I don't accept. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to throw for 350 yards, but I hope he looks the part. 
knows where to go with the football, handles pressure well. So that's something I'll be really keying on too. And we're out of time here. We'll be back Thursday. We'll get to that hot seat situation. Talk about some hot seat coaches and also power rank our coaches of the year in 2019. And we'll get to some tweets as well. So hit me up at BD Peacock. Hit Matt up on Twitter at Williamson NFL. We'll put out a tweet for you guys to respond to as well. And we will answer some tweets on Twitter Thursday tomorrow right here. Locked on NFL.